Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. So over January, leading up to Vision Sunday, which is in February, we are going to talk about what it means to thrive within, what it means to be strong from our inner being. Because sometimes when we think of thriving, we think of getting all the ducks in a row outside ourselves. And then the problem is sometimes a duck gets knocked over and you've got to do it again. And and God, Jesus' abundant life that he offers us starts from within. You may think, well, yes, I know that. So, But today I want us to give a little few tools that you can use to thrive within and to um, focus on how important that is. If you're anything like me, you'll, some, you'll find that sometimes you can be so concerned with the stuff going on around you that you can forget that you need to be working on the stuff that goes on within you. I discovered during COVID that I like looking up recipes and finding new recipes and cooking them. I don't know if I ever realised that before. But anyway, I discovered that during COVID because there was plenty of time on a Saturday to do that because you couldn't go anywhere. Anyway, they were coming over. I thought, I'll look up some nice new recipes. I got some. And I had this nice dessert. Graham's gluten-free, so it had to be gluten-free dessert. And um, it was a lemon pudding. Got Put it into the cake tin to go into the oven and looked at the butter. And I thought, what's this? Butter has lumps in it. It's garlic butter. No, great. I've made dessert using garlic butter. So I got the pan out, threw it all out, washed everything up, looked at my watch, thought, I can do this, quarter to six, coming at 6.30, I'm going to do it. So I started all over again and uh, got in the oven and when we ate it, I thought it was all right, wasn't that good? And when I was cleaning up that night, I opened up the microwave and there was the butter. So it was a dessert without butter. It was melted in the microwave and I forgot to put it in because anyway, they won't be fat. That's the good thing. It was a very slimming dessert. And so what goes in is incredibly important. could be bad, like garlic butter in itself is not bad. But tell you what, in a lemon dessert, I tried it. I tried the batter. It was horrible. Then I had to drink something to try and get rid of the taste in my mouth. And anyway... What goes in is incredibly important and you may not be aware often of what, you you are aware of what's happening within but sometimes you're so familiar with it that it becomes like, you know, a bad smell that you just get used to, that you don't notice. And Jesus has come to clean everything out, enable us to prosper and to thrive. And so today what I'm praying for, for each one of you, is that he will speak to you personally because your way of thriving will be slightly different to my way of thriving. It's the same Holy Spirit, but we're all slightly different. And so praise God we have a Holy Spirit who understands you, your way of learning, your way of thinking, your way of operating, and he will work personally with you. And so I'm going to pray that as I give my examples. May he translate them divinely into your heart and mind so that you can have them as your examples for life. Father, we just thank you that you're present. That is a most amazing thing. May we hear from you this morning. Lord, you sent your son into the world to die for us, to pay the price for all our sins, to wash away all our sin and our brokenness and to make us new to bring us into your presence that we would have abundant life. I pray, Lord, for each one of us, whether we know you yet or don't know you yet, Lord, may we discover more of you this morning and live in the abundance that you won for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when you read Matthew 21, 21 to 22, you read a verse that you might be familiar with and uh, that you might struggle with a little bit. 
just to get this into context, Jesus has been walking with his disciples and there's a fig tree which he curses and when they come back it's withered. Okay. Um, don't think about why he did that just now. Just think about that's what happened. And it, he says to his disciples. Now when he says something to his disciples, it means he's training them. So everything he, he offers like this when they look at this is a training. And, and you as a follower of Jesus are being trained to be like Jesus. That's your training. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're being trained to be like Jesus. So you could see this for yourself as well as if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. Okay, some of you may have read that verse and some of you will think that's great. And some of you will think, well, that's not true because some of us have prayed for things and we haven't received it. And yet Jesus says here, um, if you have faith, you can pray for anything and you'll receive it. So some people will look and say, well, I don't believe that. And some will say, I believe that. Your response to that is incredibly important because sometimes we look at the word of God and we say, well, that didn't work out for me, therefore it's not true. or Jesus said that so it must be true and there's something about me that needs to be reworked and all of us will err on the side of one of those. Some of us will try not to think about it too much and sit in the little grey zone in the middle. But if you're forced, you will think of one thing or the other. And so what I believe we need to do is say, if Jesus said that, that must be true. So perhaps we're we're missing something. And what I'd like to do for us today is I'd, I'd like this to end up being practical to understand that there are plenty of verses in the Bible where, where Jesus says that if you ask for this, for, for particular things, and if you pray, something will happen, God will answer your prayer. Therefore, that must be true. So maybe the problem isn't the truth of the verse. Maybe the problem has something to do with us, which is a shock to most of us because we don't think we are ever the problem, generally. Relationships or anything, we, we don't really think we're the problem first. So let's have a look at what's, what's going on. There's something profound that God is, asked, is inviting us to do here. If you think about, you know, for those of us in Connect Groups who did Pete Gregg's course on, on prayer, and uh, some of you may have read his book, his book is, um, on prayer is, is just profound. And one thing he points out is that people pray which might sound basic, but I was in the hairdressers reading that book and, and I put it down when the hairdresser came over and she saw it and then she said, do you like reading? I said, I really like reading. She said, is that book good? It's a really good book. I'll tell you what it's about. And uh, I said to her, because he starts off by saying this and I just read his first chapter, he said, people pray. Every religion is about prayer and even atheists at times will pray. There is something in us that wants to cry out to someone who is greater than us, who cares for us. And she said, that's so true. Because it is true. Because every person knows that there is there is innate ability. It's like a baby. You know, Stu and Kate have just had a baby and that baby will cry to let its parents know that it needs something. It needs to be fed. It needs to be changed. It needs to be comforted in some way. There's an innate ability. No one has a baby and then teaches them to cry. They just know how to do that. And it's the same with us. There's an innate ability to cry out to God. 
And sometimes we just stay as infants, one-week-old infants, just crying out to God. And he wants to raise us up to become people who are different to babies, to, to become, as the Bible tells us, sons and daughters of the living God with an incredible privilege. What he wants to invite us into in prayer is something that happens within us and it's something of incredible power, but it's we should receive it humbly with great privilege and understand what it's all about because there is an innate desire to be able to pray well and often when it doesn't work, we throw it aside. And I believe God wants us to see what it really is that he's calling us into. So one of the verses I love to go to about prayer, or it's a few verses, is Philippians 4, 4 to 7. And it says this about prayer. Now remember, prayer is in the middle of this, of this little passage. So often we just go to the middle of it. But you have to get the whole thing in context. And he says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, often when we come to prayer, we just take this little bit, pray about everything. You don't even want the don't worry about anything bit. Just pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And we're probably all really good at that, praying about everything or at least telling God what we need. We're good at that. And so that is valid. That's a valid part of it. You've got to get it in the whole sandwich here. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You may have read it in another translation where it says rejoice in the Lord, Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. It's emphasized. Of everything, rejoicing is emphasized. And then it says Thank him for all he has done. And if you wrap your prayer around with that, which we'll see why in a moment, you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, and your heart and mind being guarded, so we're talking about thriving within, your heart and mind being guarded is very, very important to understand effective prayer and effective relationship with God. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Rejoice. Be thankful. And then you may think, well, why? Why do I come to prayer? So I'm fit, pick in your mind at the moment something you're facing. You're facing, your family's facing, a friend is facing. That's big. Could be financial issue, relationship issue, health issue. And when you come to the Lord and the Apostle Paul says rejoice and be thankful, that is probably the first barrier that we have. How do you come and rejoice? You know, someone's had a car accident and you come and you rejoice in the Lord. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Therefore, we skip over that little bit and um, we just go straight to tell God what you need. And because rejoicing right through the scriptures, if you go right through the scriptures and you look at how many verses you'll find out on rejoicing and thanksgiving, there is something key in here that we mustn't wash away. Sometimes when we read in the scriptures words like rejoice, thanksgiving, love, joy, peace, hope, we think of them as soft words and um, we, we kind of push them aside a little bit. They are powerful words. They're really powerful. Love is an incredibly powerful word. It's not a soft word. Jesus died on the cross for you and took away your sin and your shame and your brokenness. Love is a powerful word. Mercy is a powerful word. Kindness is a powerful word. The kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. It's a powerful word. They are beautiful words, but they're not soft words. They're words full of power. And so when you come to rejoice, this is what you're rejoicing in. Firstly, Hebrews 13, 5, we read that God says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So you may be facing something today and when you come think, how do I rejoice? How do I come with thanksgiving into this situation? 
This is the first thing. God has promised he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You may feel like he's left you and you may feel like he's forsaken you, but you need the truth. You come into rejoicing in truth that God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Secondly, in Romans 8, 28, we read, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Sometimes you hit a situation in life and you think it is the end of your story, but it's not the end of your story. You have actually been invited into God's story not the other way around. You've been invited into God's story and he is working out something amazing that is going to reveal his goodness to you and his power and his glory. And you can come into a situation rejoicing because you follow the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords who has power over every situation and it doesn't matter how dark it is, he can take it. And as we read in Isaiah, he can bring beauty from ashes, beauty from ashes. Ashes are something that look like they're totally finished and God will bring something beautiful out of it. He will bring the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And that is the God that you and I serve. That's the God who we know. Therefore, you come in rejoicing because you come in with incredible hope that you serve a God who is all-powerful, more powerful than anything you can face, anything you can worry about, anything that you can fret about, anything you can be angry about or jealous about or upset about. God is more powerful than all those circumstances. And so you may need to spend some time as you come into his presence consciously rejoicing. It says in Psalm 95, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Because, or for, it gives us a reason why we do that. For the Lord is the great God. He is the great king above all gods. That's why gathering together and worshipping is of incredible value to you and to everyone else in the room. Sometimes when we say, I can just worship by myself, you can just worship by yourself. In fact, worship is not just a Sunday experience, it's an everyday experience. But when you come together today and we declare the goodness of God together, you don't know who you're sitting near. You could be sitting next to someone who's having an incredibly bad day and just your enthusiasm and faith in worship builds someone else up. You see, we need each other. Isolation is not good for us. As many people discovered last year, isolation is not always good for us. You may say, I liked isolation, but most people who liked isolation were doing isolation with people they liked, which means it wasn't really isolation. But isolation, when you're all by yourself or with people you don't like, was not fun for people. And so when we say, I like isolation, you don't really. We all actually need people. We need to be loved, we need to be valued, and we need to be encouraged. Therefore, coming to church, as Paul was talking to talking about before in giving, you come to give encouragement, most of all, to others. How amazing is that? There's serving in so many ways is just your opportunity to encourage others. C.S. Lewis said, it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. Something profound happens when you and I learn to rejoice and to praise God and to worship him, which means that we honour him above all things. We see nothing as greater than God, nothing. We come and worship him. And what happens when we do that is that we start to, as it says in Psalm 16, that we enter his gates with thanksgiving. So we enter into his presence through worship and thanksgiving. And why is, why is that? Like it's not a, it's not a formula. It's not a formula. It's something that happens within. 
So when you start to worship and thank God for his goodness, that he never fails us, that he works all things together for good, what you're doing is you're putting him above everything else and, as Philippians 4 says, peace starts to fill your heart. Peace starts to fill your heart because you start to see him as he is. Now, for each one of you to do that, it will be a process because it will be determined upon by the uh, whatever you're going through at the moment, how massive it is, whether you've been through it before, trying to remember the faithfulness of God in past situations. So there's no formula or rule. All I can say is that for each one of you, you know, um, I've had in different situations of my life, people pray, people counsel, do a lot of things for me, but in the end I have to do it myself. I have to get up and I have to start rejoicing, Lord, no one can make me do it and only the Holy Spirit can actually really enable me to do it. And for each one of you, sometimes I've, I've been in situations where I've had to practice rejoicing and praising and asking God to help me do it for weeks before I experience that peace. That's just to encourage you if you've tried doing it for two minutes and you failed. I've done it for weeks before I actually get to that breakthrough point. But you need to do that. And the reason that you do that is you are, you are making sure that your soul is subject to the Holy Spirit within you. That's what you're doing. That's the discipline that you're going through. You're saying, no, soul that is tossed about by every little feeling, you will not be the ruler of my life. The Holy Spirit will be because in him is truth and him is wisdom and in him is strength, even if I don't understand it. So you, that's why you do that to yourself, that you constantly rejoice in the Lord so that your soul does not rule, rule your life. The Holy Spirit rules your life because that's where you find the abundant life and that's, why you, that's how you thrive within, by getting the Holy Spirit to be ruling your life. And so we gather together and worship. We worship at home. We get into connect groups because we want to be people of abundant life and what's more, we want to see our, our friends and our family be people of abundant life. So we're available to encourage, to bless, to lift up. It's not just about ourselves. So... Why does he want us to do this? Why does he want us to do this? It's, it's really, it sounds complicated. And uh, it's, not, it's not really that complicated. And it's got to be something that you are conscious of every day. Every day will bring a new circumstance and you've got to be ready to walk into it. And every day you'll have to handle it differently. When I was going to the hospital to be induced with my second child, I said to Graham, I'm really nervous. And he said, why are you nervous? You've done this before. I said, that's why I'm nervous. I know what it's going to be like. In fact, I didn't. I forgot till I was halfway through. I thought, oh, that's right. That's what it's like, yes. So John 15 says this. You remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish. So here we have another verse. This is Jesus again. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now we can just look at that verse and the, our minds run to this. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so well, you shouldn't look at that. Well, you can look at that because that's what Jesus said. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But it's wrapped up in a whole package here. So sometimes we just come to God, we barge into his presence and we say, I want this. And it doesn't happen. So you didn't hear my prayer. But Jesus is telling us something more profound here about being in his presence. So worshipping and praising doesn't actually, um, his presence is always there. It's just that you start to become abundantly aware of his presence. And the peace of God starts to fill your heart and things start to settle down in you. And he says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, and at the end he says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. 
What he's doing to us is this, or for us, to us and for us, is he's inviting us in to live in his presence, which is love. God is love. He's saying, live in my love. Now, live in my love doesn't mean just be nice. You can actually be nice and not even love. You can say all the right things but not love. Love is something that happens deep within your being. And if you live in his love, there will be a fruit of that that you will only you will know about. Peace is one of those things. You can pretend to be peaceful but only you know if you're really peaceful. Joy is one of those things. Deep in your heart, hope is one of those things. If you're living in his love. And so what he's saying, Jesus is saying here, is that live in me. Let my words, the words of truth, get into the scriptures and see what the words of truth are. They're there so that you will know the truth because the world will throw out all different thoughts and fears and worries and encourage you to be proud, to be arrogant, to be bitter, to be unforgiving, so many things. So you get into the word that is is God's truth and you live in his love. You just live in the presence of his love. You make that your desire every day is to live fully in his love, which means you experience his love for you. You are abundantly aware of his love for you, which is greater than anything else because you're living in his love. And you know you have it because you see others through the eyes of love. You don't see them through the eyes of bitterness or unforgiveness or judgment or anger or pride. You see them through the eyes of love because you are so close to him, dwelling in his love, that you start to see the world differently. And this is the beginning of answered prayer. Answered prayer doesn't start when you come out with your list of what you want. Answered prayer starts when you enter into the presence of God and you start to live in his love. And once you come in rejoicing, and this may take you a time, really it's difficult to start asking until you're living in that. What we need to do is to become still. You know, you can be by yourself. So stillness does not necessarily mean being alone. I have the ability of being all alone, but my head is not still. Does anyone else have that ability? You can be all alone and you don't want to be alone because your head is going all around the place. So sometimes that's why we don't want to be alone because we don't want to find out what's really going on in our head and our heart. Psychologist Jim McNeish calls it head noise, an internal voice, a soundtrack for our lives. Has anyone ever had one of those? It's this mind, it's this initial head noise that we convert into prayers when we rush too quickly into intercession. Your head's raging. Something suddenly happens and you throw out prayers to God out of desperation. But they're not coming from a place of peace. They're coming from a place of fear, anxiety, worry, anger, unforgiveness, a whole lot of things that come out from that place. Because we have not stilled ourselves, we pray in our own strength and we come to God's door under the weight and panic of the circumstances facing us, being still opens a channel of communication between us and heaven. When you're still, you actually start to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you in the middle of the situation. Psalm 46, 10 and 11 says, Be still and know that I am God. And then it gives a reason. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. So you, you have God who is, has his, his armies who are coming to fight for you and God who is your fortress who protects you. And that's why you can be still. If you go home and read Psalm 46, you'll find that it's in the middle, it's talking about in the middle of earthquakes and attacks and all the things that could go wrong in your life. 
And in the middle of it, you can be still. Honestly, it's easy to be still when everything is, when all the ducks are in a row. It's not easy to be still when there's things raging around you. But it is possible if you know that he's God. It's a, it's a very simple little verse, be still and know that I am God. But it's something to reflect on because what does that actually say? Ask yourself what's that really saying? It's a stillness from within, but it's from a knowledge of something. Be still and know. It's the know that is incredibly important which leads to the stillness. Because if you don't have stillness, you don't know that he is God. You might be a follower of Jesus and you you effectively know that he is God, but not deep in your spirit. And so it creates a blockage between you coming in and fully listening to the Holy Spirit in any circumstance you may be in. Graham Cook, who wrote, writes a book called um, Crafted Prayer, says, without stillness, our experience of God is limited. You can experience God. You can know God. You can love God. You can serve him. But the more stillness that you have, the more you will experience him, the more you will know him, the more generous you will be, the more encouraging you will be to other people, the more peace you will have. There's this um, icon that's generally used with the um, Eastern Orthodox Church that I want to use to help us with our prayers and coming into the presence of God. Because when you look at this, you can see, and you can't see at the bottom, there is a, a cup of wine, which we call the, the cup of suffering, which Jesus drinks. And around this table we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one of the Godhead, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to imagine for a moment, take the situation that you want to pray about at the moment, just to be practical, and imagine this, that you're invited as it says in Hebrews, we're invited right into the throne room of God. We're invited into his presence. And imagine that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are sitting around a table and you're invited to come to the table. Many images throughout the scripture of us being invited to the table. And you come to this table through worship, through rejoicing, through praise, through trust and faith in him. That very first verse that we were looking at where Jesus says, if you have faith, it's not faith in imagining something happening, it's faith in a person. And you come into this situation and you're invited to sit around the table. Most probably the, one of the very first things you feel is the humility that you, who is, is a sinner, saved by grace, are invited to sit at the table of the Lord, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as you sit at the table, this is what you see. Picture the table. And there at the table is God the Father. It says in Romans 8, 31 to 32, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's the Father who looks at you, who is for you. If you describe the Father, God the Father, would you describe him as, He's the Father who is for me. He's not against me. He gave his only son for me. He gave his only son for you. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That is the father. And the father looks at the son who died, who's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So you come into this table, you're invited to this table, into the very presence of God. You're actually invited into the very presence of God where there's fullness of joy. And you have the Father who is for you, who loves you, who sent his Son, who gave his life for you, has 
beaten the power of sin and death and now is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. So there's a conversation going on when you come to this table about you or about the person that you're praying for or the situation you're praying for. There is a conversation going on right now about that. And the son who gave his life for you is sitting interceding for you. He's talking to the father about you. So we need some stillness. Rather than rushing in with our random prayers, we come into his presence and we sit at the table and the first thing we do is just listen. Sit there with your Bible, see what it's saying. Sit there and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What is, the, what are these, what is the Jesus saying to the Father about you? And then the Holy Spirit is there and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, it says in Romans 8.26. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. It's true. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So you come to this table. You have the Father who is for you, who gave his son for you. You have Jesus who gave his life for you, who beat the power of sin and death and is sitting there interceding for you. And you have this tutor in prayer, the Holy Spirit, because he knows that you don't really know how to pray, but you will be filled with the Holy Spirit if you ask him into your life and he will teach you to pray. He will give you the words to say. He will help you know the heart of the Father. And then we read in Romans 8, which I think sums it up beautifully. And the Father who knows all hearts, he knows your heart. He knows what you need and he knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers. So you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit is pleading for you in harmony with God's own will. It's a picture of beautiful harmony here, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What God is doing in this process is actually transforming you. God is transforming you from glory to glory. And as we learn to come and sit in his presence, not only do we see answers to our prayers, but we see a transformation happening in us. Just by being in his presence, we start to become more like Jesus. And we're invited to this place of privilege where we don't just come and throw random prayers to God. We actually come and sit and listen to God's heart. And then as we listen to God's heart, we pray in alignment with God's heart and our prayers will always be answered. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in my love, you will ask whatever you want. When you're sitting in the presence of his love and you hear what his voice is saying to you, you will find, as I have found, that as I go to pray for people but, do, but spend some time just in his presence listening to his heart, my prayers for people change. They're different to the one I was praying before because I'm praying with the heart of the Father, not my own desperate heart or broken heart or whatever heart I may be praying from. I'm praying with the heart of the Father. Graham Cook in his book on crafted prayer calls this crafted prayer where we come into the presence of God and we take time. You take time to listen. You take time to be still. You take time to be aware of that table that you're sitting at and to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, to hear what the Father would be saying about someone. You take time to listen. And then he says in his book, you can write out a prayer for someone. Now, some, some of you might think, no, I just got to pray straight from my heart. You can pray straight from your heart. But when you craft a prayer for someone, for yourself or for someone else, what you're doing is you're spending time really listening to the Holy Spirit's desire for that person. Really listen. Really hear what God is saying and write it out. Here are some of the things you can do. You look at the situation and you take time to study the word. Then you take time for thanksgiving. Bring your heart into line with what God wants to do. Craft a prayer that covers the whole issue. Write your prayer out over and over until you feel it seep into your heart. 
Sometimes I've written prayers out a long time before I feel like I really believe that that's what God wants. And a crafted prayer means that you're using scripture, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and you're getting the Father's heart for a particular situation. And it may take time, but uh, Graham Cook in his book calls them push prayers, P-U-S-H, where you pray until something happens. You can constantly pray. You can pray that every day if the Holy Spirit's given you that prayer. If you're not sure about writing a prayer out, um, you'll discover when you read through the New Testament that the Apostle Paul crafted many prayers ones that are being prayed over and over again that reflect the heart of the Father. For instance, in Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, this is a prayer that he writes. And sometimes we can read his prayers really quickly because we have something in our nature that kind of looks for the rules of what to do in life. But when you look at his prayers, you see the heart of the Father reflected in his prayers. And if he's praying in alignment with the will of God, his prayers will be answered. And so Here's a prayer, Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Just even pause there. If you're really going into the throne room or going to the table of the Lord and praying for someone, you know, you might be praying, change them or make them see this or do this or this. And the Father might say to you, Pray that they will be strengthened with power through my spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their heart through faith. And then he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. If you're praying for yourself or anyone else, if you think of yourself and think of the transformation that's happened in your life, I would say that probably 100% of the time an amazing transformation happened when you grasped the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God. A transformation happened because of that, not because someone told you you had to do something, but because somehow by the Holy Spirit you had a profound experience of the love of God and the grace of God towards you and it changed everything. And sometimes we try to manipulate situations and solve situations, but if we just took that prayer that is a crafted prayer, written out prayer, you would see amazing things happen in people's lives because anyone who actually understands how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ will be changed. Not just to hear about it, to really know it from the depth of your being in a knowledge of that his love that produces a joy and a stillness. He finishes off by praying, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So he knows that even as he's praying in the will of God, he knows that God can do far more than he can ask for and he can imagine. To place a beautiful surrender. According to his power that is worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 